Well, it is great to see all of you on this Easter morning, and it's great to see the sun shining, I think especially on an Easter resurrection morning. So here's, here's the crux of the matter. Here's the statement. Jesus rose from the dead. Now, you might say, well, yeah, Pastor Jim, we know that. It's Easter and We're all here in church, and that's what we would expect you to be talking about today. Jesus rose from the dead. But let me me say it again, and think about it as I say it. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, isn't it something how we can take an earth-shaking statement like that and somehow turn it into a, a religious statement, a churchy statement that's good for the religious world and good when we're inside the walls of the church. It's something we talk about all the time, but it seems like sometimes it has no relevance outside the walls of our church in what we would sometimes call the real world. So does this statement, does this resurrection of Jesus Christ Is it something that makes a difference in in our real world? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and not just something we talk about on Sunday. Well, that's why I would like to read how the Apostle Paul summarizes the eyewitness records of the story of Jesus. And this is how Paul states it in his letter to the Christians in the city of Corinth, in chapter 15, verses 3 through 6. He says this, I passed on to you what was most important, which had been also passed on to me. Here it is. Christ died for our sins, as the scriptures said. Now, we can go along with that. Christ died. I mean, people die in the real world, right? We can understand that. He goes on and says, he was buried Now, that happens in the real world. Jesus died. He was buried. But then we come to that third phrase. And Jesus was raised on the third day. Now, that doesn't happen in the real world. At least we don't think it does. But the Apostle Paul is saying, as a matter of course, in his summary of Jesus' life, He's saying that it did indeed happen in the real world, just as the scriptures said it would. And then Paul goes on and says this, Jesus was seen in the real world by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time most of whom are still alive, Paul adds. You could go and interview them. You could could go and get their testimony. Though some of them have died, and many of those who died, died because they wouldn't give up the statement that they had seen Jesus Christ in the real world, raised from the dead. They were willing to pay that price for their belief and confidence in that. So Paul is telling us that This is not just a religious truth. It's not just a church truth. He's saying this. Jesus died on a Friday from the wounds he'd received. That means he bled out. 
It means his heart stopped. His breathing stopped. He was pronounced dead on the cross at 3 p.m. that first Good Friday. And then he was taken from there to a tomb where his body lay cold and lifeless all of Friday night, all day Saturday, all of Saturday night, and then right around dawn on Sunday morning, something totally remarkable. Jesus rose to life again. Now, it was not like some floating, wispy ghost or spirit. You know those kind we see in movies that are sort of translucent? You can see through them. That isn't, Paul is not saying that Jesus died, and, but his spirit, great, but we're glad that his spirit lives on. That is not what he was saying here. Paul is saying that the Jesus whose body was crucified, wounded, and beat up, and, and put in a grave, died, put in a grave, buried on Good Friday, that same Jesus in that body, even with the scars and the wounds still visible, that same Jesus in that body, now glorified, he rose up from the dead. And that is the message that we are here celebrating today. And by no means is it to be confined within the walls of the churches of Christendom. This is the message that turns the world upside down. It turns history upside down. It certainly turned biology upside down. Because biology tells us that when things die, you don't reverse that process. That's what happened in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It turns science upside down, and it certainly is a psychological truth with profound implications for two things, at least, for human hope and for human relationships. Because the resurrection tells us that human experience is not simply to live and die and get buried or placed in a tomb, and then that's it. It's over. It's done. Put a period on it. The resurrection of Christ tells us that there is hope beyond the grave. There is a future for you that is in his hands and was secured by him when he rose from the dead. It's telling us that, and this is great news, and I know there's many people in this church that have lost loved ones recently, this past year. The resurrection is telling us psychological implications here for relationships Because those relationships with people that we dearly love, and they've gone from us now, those relationships can, they're not over. They're temporarily interrupted. And it was certainly a geographical truth because the place and time when the resurrection happened, where it was witnessed, can be pinpointed in our real world. It took place in Jerusalem during the rule of the Roman governor Pilate right around 30 AD. Now, does the fact that this happened so long ago make it any less powerful for us today? I mean, it's been 20 centuries since this happened. Well, why would it be less powerful? If this Jesus, who said over and over again that he was the sinless eternal Son of God who came into the world to die taking the blame for all of our wrongdoing. Why was that important? Because our wrongdoings, what we call our sins, 
separate us from the sinless, pure God. They have to. God can't compromise his own character by just pretending we haven't done wrong. So he found that great solution. He sent his son into the world, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God himself, came into the world. He went to the cross to die for our sins and our wrongdoing. Why? So that the barrier, the blindness between us and God would be removed and we could come to realize, you know what, God, we could see God up close and personal. You know, right now, we're much more attuned to what we call the real world. The stuff that our five senses keeps us occupied with seven days a week, 24-7. We are occupied, aren't we? Five senses, taste, touch, smell, work, hearing, all that stuff. Work, that isn't one of the senses, but that's... (laughs) We spend a lot of our time, okay. You know, (laughs) anyway, you know what I'm talking about. We're occupied with that. You know what? In all that occupying, our our sensory perceptions... What's the one thing that's left out? God. God is this distant, far-off, forgotten, if he even exists, being. But here's what happened through Christ. And the, way, the reason God is so remote to us is because we are spiritually blind because of our sins. Jesus came to correct that problem. He died on the cross He took the blame for all of our sins so they could be forgiven, wiped away, and we could come back to know God, the real God, up close and personal. He would be alive inside of us. Now, he did that on Good Friday. He died for our sins. Now, if he rose from the dead, just like he repeatedly said he was going to do, then what more proof Could we possibly need to believe that he really can forgive us of our sins and take away that blindness? He conquered death on our behalf. You know, but strangely, there were many in Jesus' day, and there still are many in our day that resist Jesus, that dismiss him, or minimize him. Some outright, flat-out fight against him. You, you look at the story of Jesus in the New Testament. From the moment he started his ministry, he had his detractors. He had people out there minimizing him and saying, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's an imposter. He's a false prophet. He's, he's out of his head. He's out of touch. He's crazy. There were people like that. They were fighting everything he said. And They fought him all the way up to the cross. And even while he was on the cross, the people at the foot of the cross, they were mocking, fighting, resisting, minimizing. And yet, he was dying on that cross for even his detractors, for even the people fighting against him. And this is the prayer he prayed on that cross. This is pretty amazing. He says, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. You know, that's not only the greatest statement of love for you and I ever made in the history of this world. It's the greatest statement of love. But it is also Jesus describing 
the reason for our... He's describing our spiritual blindness, which causes us to resist God. You know, fighting against God, dismissing Jesus, usually takes three forms. Here's the first one. Skeptical reasons. This whole story of Jesus, especially the resurrection part, (laughs) that's just a little bit too much to swallow. That has to be a legend. That can't possibly be true. And so a lot of times we will say it's just another religion created by people who are projecting their own wishful thinking and out of that creating a God figure who can sort of make life a little more tolerable and give us some hope in the midst of a really messed up world. It's that Jesus rose from the dead, this whole thing, that simply, it's not credible. Now, uh, Dorothy Sayers, who was a brilliant British playwright, poet, author, a literary genius, in the first half of the 20th century, she made this statement. She said this, that the Christian faith is the most exciting drama that ever staggered the imagination of humanity. She also went on to say, if we think Christianity is dull, boring, just another myth, it is either because we have never read the story of Jesus or we have read it and heard it so much that we have lost its meaning. And she's only one example of many who have read the story of Jesus recorded by his biographers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the records of the Apostle Paul and Peter and all the other writers who wrote as eyewitnesses of this resurrected Savior. And she came away convinced with all of her literary prowess and all of her literary genius and all of her ability to detect what is written records. Dorothy Sayers, came, she came away from that saying, you know what? This is true. This is a real deal. This story of Jesus Christ. And that led her to take that step of faith. She placed her faith in this resurrected Christ. And she came to know him in a personal, living way. She came to know the God who's up close and personal. Now, if doubt is your stumbling block this morning, and I'm grateful that you're here, and if, if you never go, to, if you very rarely go to, there may be some here that very rarely go to church and you're just here because you're checking things out today, or maybe someone invited you to come. I am grateful for you that you're here. And you know what? God is not afraid of honest questions. He's not afraid of those at all. If you do have some further questions, you want to check these things out. Uh, three resources. They should be on the screen. A website, coldcasechristianity.com. Be a good resource. And then there's on YouTube a talk given by N.T. Wright. Who was Jesus? And then a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for the Real Jesus. 
I don't think it's sufficient for anyone to simply draw a conclusion or an opinion about Jesus if you haven't, if you haven't researched it. Because he's too important of a figure to not research and, and take a close look at. Okay, number two reason. A lot of people fight Jesus Christ or dismiss him. And that would, I would call this one the raw deal reason. The raw deal reason. Okay, there's too much suffering in this world for there to be a God who really cares. In fact, there's too much suffering in this world for there to even be a God who is even there. I'm angry at God. He allowed this to happen to me. Or he allowed this to happen to my friend or my, my child or my, my loved one. Where, where is God? Well, you know, Jesus addressed that question again and again and again. He said that he came into our raw deal world to suffer, to experience our sorrows, to experience all the pain and all the things that we go through. And then what happened to Jesus on Good Friday? He got the worst raw deal of any human being that's ever walked this planet. The book of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, tells us that. It says this about Christ. He was despised and he was rejected. He was called the man of sorrows. He was acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised. We didn't care. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But that isn't true. He was being pierced for our rebellion. He was being crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be, we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Whatever hurt, whatever sorrow, whatever loss, whatever pain, whatever injustice any one of you has experienced or is currently experiencing right now in your life, I don't care how deep that wound is, Jesus came into the world to let you know that he identifies with you. He lived our human experience. And then on the cross, it was Every sorrow of all humanity was, was poured out upon him. He not only died for our sins, he died for our sorrows as well. And we can come to him. He rose from the dead to let you know that when you place your faith in him, he will come into your life to help you deal with all that hurt and all that pain and find healing, find a future in your life. Here's the third reason we dismiss the Lord sometimes. And that is, uh, I call this the be my own boss reason. <clears throat> I like running my own life. There are some things in my life I just don't want to give up. And I know that maybe the Lord wouldn't be pleased with those. I, I'd like to, I just want to keep doing that. Or I would like God to just back off a little bit. Don't crowd me so much. Or 
A ver- another version of this might be that you've had a bad experience with Christianity. Maybe you had a bad experience with some Christians or with the church. And you don't want to turn into being like that crazy Christian that you knew or know. And you know what? There are some crazy Christians. <laughs> there are. That don't represent Jesus very well. And maybe you met one of them and you just got turned off on Christianity. Well, hey, don't let that person's craziness obscure your vision of who Jesus is. And you're being called not to follow that crazy Christian, but to follow Jesus and to become more like him. That's a good deal. And there's one other version of this. Uh, I'm too young to come to Jesus. Uh, I'm not old enough. Or I, I want to express myself first. I want to do a little living first. And then when I get old, then I'll think about Jesus. Well, you know what? What you're saying there is that you can do a better job at making yourself feel alive and, and enjoy life than the Savior who resurrected from the dead, who is the author of all life. That doesn't make much sense to me. So why do we fight against God? Why do we resist him? Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, he says this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. We were spiritually dead because of our, those sins I talked about a little bit ago that separated us from God. We're spiritually dead. But in verses 4 and 5 of that same chapter, look what, look what God says. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. So when you place your faith in Christ, the same resurrection life and power that brought him up out of that grave now becomes, now you have access to that. That power begins to flow in your life. And you, and you can live with Christ and walk in his power. That's, that's talking about a spiritual resurrection that happens in you the moment you place faith in Christ. And it begins a lifelong process of discovering the real God. And not just the real God, but the real you. You know, it's only in Christ that we come to know the real, the real me and the real you. And you can have lived, maybe some of you, maybe you, you could live your whole life and never really meet who you really are. It's only through Christ, our maker, through faith in him that we come to understand who we are. And he helps build that new person more and more into the person he created you and I to be. So that's the spiritual resurrection that takes place inside And you will come alive more intellectually, emotionally, relationally, physically than ever before when you come to know Christ. That's spiritual resurrection. But that's not all. Because there's a day coming when the spiritual resurrection, that life of Christ in us, is going to lead us to a physical resurrection ourselves. You know, there's a day coming when we're going to die. And we're going to lay down these bodies Dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Our body's going to go back into the elements, back into the ground, back into the dust. At that moment, if we have faith in Christ, our spirit immediately goes to be with the Lord. To await the day, the Bible says, when Jesus comes again, it's called the great day of the resurrection. 
And on the day of the resurrection, our, the spirit that has gone to be with the Lord is going to be reunited with a brand new body that's going to come bursting up out of the graves and the cemeteries all over the world. It's going to be a resurrection. We're going to experience a resurrection just like Jesus came out of his tomb. We're going to come out of ours too, physically. And it's going to be a body that is going to be built for all of eternity. So this resurrection thing, it has everything to do with your future and mine, as Jesus described it. Let me read for you that future day of resurrection so, you, so you'll know what we're looking forward to. He says, Paul says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died you will, so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers, the spirits of the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have already died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. That's good news for those of you that have lost loved ones and are grieving that. Maybe this is your first Easter without your loved one. Hang your hat on that. Your, believe, your loved one is going to come up out of the grave like Jesus did too. And it says this, Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. The message of Christ is one that leads us on an adventure and the adventure goes right on into eternity. So, closing. If you're here this morning and you have been fighting God, dismissing Jesus Christ, minimizing Him, who He is, or just confining him to your Sunday church experience and not out in the real world. I just want you to know if you're fighting against him, you can't win. The only way you can win in a, in a, in a fight with God is to lose the fight. <laughs> Come to Christ, surrender. Place your faith in him. And if you do that, then today you can experience that same spiritual resurrection that we were just describing a moment ago. You can come out of your spiritual tomb by receiving Jesus Christ, asking him to forgive you of your sins. And you can do that right now where you are seated in this room if you've never done that before. I would encourage you to do that in your own words and invite Christ into your life. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have, have surrendered your life to him, then I believe this is a moment when the Holy Spirit is simply calling all of us to a deeper commitment to Jesus Christ, to a deeper experience of all that he has for us uh, by the power of his resurrection. So, this resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just a religious truth. 
It is the center of all truth and all life. Let's place our trust in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today that you love us. Jesus, that you loved us all the way to the cross. You loved us on the cross. Your spirit and heart toward us on the cross. Father, forgive them. And so, Lord, that forgiveness is offered right here today. And I pray that every person in this room that's reaching out to you right now, Lord, to receive that forgiveness. Lord, that you will let it come flowing like a big river into their hearts. Take away all the guilt. Take away shame. Lord, take away all, all of the things of the past, Lord. And help, and then by your resurrection, I pray that each one who trusts you will grab hold of the new future that we have in you. Heavenly Father, we ask in these closing moments as we now come to communion and we remember the events of that first Easter, we celebrate them once again together in communion, that your Holy Spirit will fill this room and let this be a holy, holy place, a place of reverence and gratitude as we celebrate the greatest events, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus that that have ever occurred in this world. And Father, we give you praise, we give you thanks, and we pray these things in Jesus' great, his mighty, his powerful name. Amen. Amen. Amen.